Good morning, everybody. Please, 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 please turn your Bibles to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Now, while you're looking for that, I want to start off today by giving you three dates. Um, I wonder if these dates will sound familiar to you. The first one is 21st of May, 2011. The second one is 21st October, 2011. And the last one is 21st of December, 2012. I don't know, does that ring a bell with anybody, one of these dates? I see Mia saying yes. No, all right, I'll, I'll fill you in now, but first let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so wonderful to sing about these things that you've done for us. Your promises, Lord. Lord, that we are more than conquerors in you. Lord, that that never ceases to amaze me. And Lord, I want to ask, will you please be with us today? Lord, may your name be glorified through the preaching, Lord. Will you please come and work in our hearts? Lord, and will you please... Open up your word to us, Lord. Illuminate it with your spirit. Lord, we ask that we won't walk out of here unchanged. May your name be glorified today, Lord. We praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, so I gave you those three dates. 21st of May, 2011, 21 October, 2012, and 21 December, 2012. Sorry, October is 2011 as well. But... All of these dates were all failed predictions of the end of the world. (laughs) You can go look them up. The first two dates, 21 May 2011 and 21 October 2011, were both dates given for the rapture to happen and then the world would end. You know, it would be the second coming of Christ. Both of these dates were predicted by one man. His name was Harold Camping. Uh, He was an American radio show host. I'm not sure what else he did. And he has since died in 2013 at the age of 92. Now, these weren't the first dates that Mr. Camping actually gave for the rapture and the second coming of Christ to happen. You know, I read an article that stated that he actually gave 12 dates in his lifetime. (laughs) He predicted it 12 times um, that this would happen. And every time, every single one of those 12 times, he fooled some people at least into thinking that these predictions were correct. But the dates of 2011 were a little bit different. The dates of 21 May went along with a massive, I mean a massive worldwide marketing campaign that had people going all over the place to spread his materials, you know, his CDs and his pamphlets, warning people that the rapture was coming, the second coming of Christ was also coming soon after that. And obviously with the world world ending. Uh, They had billboards set up in major cities around the world. I remember seeing, I think, one or two in Johannesburg back then. Uh, It it really was a big thing. Now, I was first confronted with this group uh, while I was busy witnessing at Artclop. I think it was in 2010, 29 or 2010. But there was a man there at Artclop, not inside the area, you know, where they have all the lacquer food. (laughs) Not there. It was actually one of the streets close by uh, the entrances. And and he had a sign uh, hanging over his body, you know, like one of those sandwich signs that you see in the movies. It was the first time I saw something like that. Okay, so I only see it in the movies. But 
On the sign was written something of the effect of 21 May 2011, Jesus is coming or end of the world, something like that. I can't really remember. But of course, I was intrigued by this. You know, that, that definitely gets your attention. So I went to speak to this man and I came to find out that this man actually came all the way from a neighboring country to South Africa to Artclop to hand out these CDs and pamphlets of Mr. Camping. Um, warning people about the rapture that's about to happen and then, of course, the end of the world after that. Uh, no seven years in between, by the way. It's months uh, in between. Now, I tried to witness to this man, but he was more interested uh, in this mission that he was on. Um, yet I couldn't really establish why this was so important to him to tell people uh, about the rapture that was coming in May of 2011. I actually asked him point blank, you know, why is this so important for me to know this? So in the end, he gave me some CDs and pamphlets and I was on my way. Now, I wasn't really gr uh, grounded in the word back then and I haven't received any instruction by that time since I got saved. So to be honest, this did shake me a little bit. A little bit, you know, but I, but I at least knew enough. God was gracious to me in that I knew enough that I would lean towards this being a lie because of things I've read in the Bible. Now, especially also since this man had no concern for my or anybody else's salvation when I spoke to him. None. So I, of course, threw all of those CDs and pamphlets in the nearest trash can that I could find. Uh, it was literally a few meters away. <laughs> But a few months later, a little before this date that was predicted by Mr. Camping, 21 May uh, 2011, I heard an interview on the radio with a man uh, that was also convinced of these teachings of Mr. Camping. People phoned in to tell, to tell him that Jesus said that no man knows the day or the hour of the Lord's coming, but you know, you know these groups, they always have a way around this or laughing it off, something like that, and that's exactly what happened. Um, later on, there was a newspaper report about a group of people led by this man that was in the interview uh, that they had on the radio. And it turns out that they booked a very expensive hotel in Johannesburg for that weekend when the rapture was supposed to happen. And all of the charges were made to their credit cards. <laughs> now you can see where this is going. You know, they don't, didn't have money for any of this. So they thought, hey, the rapture is coming, let's live it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's basically it. Because they thought that, well, the rapture will happen before the bill is due. So, sounds like a great deal. Now, of course, 21 May came, and it gone. <laughs> and those people actually had to pay those bills. Um, Mr. Camping came back, and he said that, well, he made some sort of calculation error, and it was actually a spiritual judgment that started happening, and whatever and that the rapture would actually co coincide with the end of the world, 21 October 2011. Now, we're in 2019 now. That obviously didn't pan out. Um, you know, Mr. Camping left a lot of destroyed lives in the wake of, of his false, or he, fail, he failed and his false predictions. I, um, you can go read up some of the stories of what people did and what happened to them. Some committed suicide. Uh, it, it really was bad. It was really bad. Now, the last date that I gave you was 21 uh, December 2012. Now, this will sound familiar as soon as I start talking about it, you know. This was the supposed end of the Mayan calendar. Ah, oh, there we go. <laughs> People know about that. 
because it was in the news, it was everywhere, you know. And as far as I can understand, these people, these Mayan people, had an amazing calendar system. Uh, and they were actually able to uh, continuously and accurately track time for more than 5,000 years. Folks, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's genius. It's really amazing. But then, at some point, on 21 December 2012, this calendar stopped. And people took it to mean that, well, that means the world's going to end. <laughs> now, you, as you can predict, pa people panicked, and another apocalyptic movie was made. But in the end, nothing happened. It's 2019. We're still here. You know, I guess Jesus actually did mean <laughs> what he said in Matthew 24, verse, verse 36, when he said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, I'm pretty sure we haven't heard the end of all these end-time predictions. Um, they've been going on for thousands of years, even since the time of the apostles. Uh, people have been doing this. And they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. These false prophecies are just too effective to make money from. Look at all the books that you found, find in the bookstores of all these end-time prophecies. A few months later, they end up on, in the bargain bin and then in the trash bin. That's, that's just how it goes. But then, of course, like you have these guys that are constantly predicting the return of Christ, on the other hand, you have people that are scoffing at Jesus' promises or mocking him um, because he said that he will return. And he hasn't yet. Now we'll get to them a little bit later. They're actually mentioned in verse 3, but like I said, a little bit later. First I want to deal with this question of what it will be like when Jesus returns, and also when will it actually happen? Does the Bible tell us? Well, there are answers. I'm just first going to take a sip here. So you've got Second uh, Peter chapter 3 there. Let's look at verse 10. Second Peter 3 and verse 10. It says there, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now let's just stop there for a moment. You know, when the Bible mentions the day of the Lord, it is always referring to judgment. In the Old Testament, that phrase was, was used to describe some near future judgment sometimes, and other times it was used to describe the end of, end of times, you know, the, that day of the Lord. Now, of course, the context will show us what we're talking about here. Are we talking about some sort of near future judgment or, or the end of the world? But the Bible refers to this day as the day of doom. It is the day of vengeance. It's also called the day of wrath because there are going to be some terrible judgments being handed out from God because of the sinfulness of mankind. It's going to be a terrible day, folks. Terrible day. It's no wonder that the Bible says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And some people are going to experience that firsthand. Yeah. Now, this future day of the Lord can actually be divided into two parts. The first part happens right after the, the seven-year tribulation period. And that is what we read about in Revelation 19, where the Lord actually comes back you know, he is the rider on the white horse and he destroys the enemies of God in the battle of Armageddon. You can read about it there. Now, this is also the day that Zephaniah refers to in Zephaniah 1 and verse 15 where he says, that day is a day of wrath 
a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's going to be a very, very dark day. And this is the first part of the day of the Lord that we also read about in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2. And at the end of this battle then, the devil will actually be cast out into the bottomless pit and he will be chained up there for a thousand years. Now the Bible does describe this, but you can just imagine that when the devil, that's our adversary, the tempter, when he is chained up in a bottomless pit, not able to tempt anybody anymore, not um, able to falsely accuse anybody, none of that, there will be a tremendous peace on this earth. Not to mention that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, will be ruling uh, on earth in that time with his bride by his side. So who's that? It's the church. It's the church. So everybody that are saved in this church age that we are in now, they make up the bride of Christ and we will be ruling alongside Jesus Christ, our husband, in that time. And that is an amazing thought, folks. That's an amazing thought. Now, we normally, normally refer to this time, this thousand years, as the millennium, because, well, that's what the word means, millennium. It's a thousand years, but and it's this wonderful reign of Christ, and it will last for a thousand years. It's a very long time. A <laughs> very long time. And after this thousand years, the devil will then finally be loosed again from his change and chains and... <laughs> Yeah, and he will deceive the nation or deceive the nations one last time to rebel against God. But this last rebellion rebellion will be very short-lived in that time, uh, because the Lord is going to destroy them, and He will then cast the devil once again in the lake of fire. Well, not once again; He will cast him in the lake of fire and brimstone, and He will be tormented there. The Bible says, forever and ever. That's the end of Him. That's it. And it is after this that we find the second part of the day of the Lord. And we read a little bit more detail about that here in verse 10. So let's go back to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in, which, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So everything gets destroyed by fire. I mean, look around you. All of this gets destroyed by fire. It gets ripped apart. You know, even the, the atomic components, the elements of everything will be melted away. We're talking about the protons, the neutrons, the, all of these trons. They're, they're all going to be melted away and it's going to be done with. Folks, that's a fervent heat. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity before to actually be at a stainless steel factory. It was very interesting. And at this factory, they showed us how they would take recycled metal, you know, uh, crashed cars or whatever else, and they, they will turn this finally into new stainless steel that you can use again. And they showed us how they would take this recycled metal and put it in something called an arc reactor. Now, this reactor would basically zap this metal with stuff that looks like lightning bolts. It's amazing. And it would heat this metal up until it is melted, finally. Now, I don't, don't remember what the temperatures of this metal was, but I do remember how it felt. 
It was so hot. It was so hot just standing next to it. Um, you couldn't really get very close. But I got to thinking while preparing this that even though that molten metal was so hot, it was in a container. That container didn't melt. That's actually very interesting. <laughs> you know? the, the, the metal was not hot enough for the container even to melt. Now, folks, that is no match for this fervent heat that we're reading about here in, in 2 Peter 3. You know, there will be no container that can contain anything that is melted in that time. Everything is melted away. It's gone. It's all gone. What a thought, you know. The entire earth will be melted away. Everything that you love down here will be burned up. It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. That gives us some perspective, doesn't it? Hey? Puts, really puts things in perspective. So then that deals with the question of what will happen in the day of the Lord. Of course, we can go much deeper in this and search through all the scriptures. Um, but the, question, uh, the next question is, when will this happen? When will this happen? You know, Luke chapter 12 and verse 14, uh, in there Jesus said, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. <laughs> so you won't know when it's going to happen. Uh, it will happen at an hour when you think not, Jesus said. It will be when you don't expect it. Um, I gave you this verse earlier, Matthew 24 and verse 36, but let me read it to you again. Jesus said there, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Nobody. Not even the angels know when it's going to happen. You know, they, they don't have special insight into that. And when Jesus said this, he restricted his own omniscience in that time. Because remember, Jesus Christ is God Almighty himself. But he restricted himself while he was incarnate, while he was a human being here on earth, insofar that not even he knew when it will happen. Blows my mind. I can't explain it any better than that, so I'm sorry. But only the Father knows, he says. Only the Father knows. So please don't ask me when it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. Neither does anybody else. Now there are some things that are laid out to us in the Bible about this. You know, um, We know about the signs that are going to happen, but these things have been happening. Yes, they get worse, but we don't know what is the tipping point. <laughs> when is this? We don't know, but we do know that the tribulation period will be seven years long. Okay? We know this. And we know that after this tribulation period, after the battle, we're going to have a thousand years reign of Christ. So that we know. That's given to us. But folks, the next event on the biblical calendar is actually the rapture of the church. <laughs> and the rapture basically kicks off this seven-year period of tribulation but we have no idea when this rapture is going to happen. We have no clue. Now, th there are no signs that's going to um, go before it that, that are given to us in the Bible. None of that. We know that the trumpet will sound. We know that an archangel will shout. And then we're gone. gone. But all of that's going to happen like that. You're gonna, not going to have time to warn anybody if you hear the trumpet. <laughs> okay. That's too late. That's too late. We don't know if it will happen right now. Or later today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe in a hundred years, maybe even in a thousand years. We have no clue. We don't have a clue. 
We don't know the day or the hour, Jesus said. You know, please don't let anybody try and convince you otherwise. Please. This is a settled matter as far as the Lord is concerned. Okay. Peter says the same thing here. He writes, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. If you knew when a thief would come and rob your house, then it would actually put the thief at a major disadvantage, wouldn't it? <laughs> Which is why they don't let you know that they're coming. You don't get an SMS from some service or whatever, you know, oh, a thief is on his way. No, you don't get that. You know how you know a thief was there? Well, you get back home and you see a thief was there. That's how it happens. Or maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and because you heard something. You know, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sad to say that it really happens a lot to me. But, and you jump up and you see a thief is in your house. Or maybe, oh, he just left. But that's how it works. There is no warning that a thief will come. No warning. And that is Peter's point here. You don't know when the thief will come and neither do you know when the Lord will come. So you better be ready for it. For whenever it happens. He is coming. He is coming. And the New Testament teaches us that he will be coming quickly. You know, James 5 and verse 8 says, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is nigh. So it's close by. Peter himself said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Is at hand. It's, it's, it's right here. It's going to come. And so we find it time after time in the New Testament that the second coming of the Lord is nearby. It's very nearby. But okay, let's address the elephant in the room here. It has been 2,000 years. <laughs> That's a long time, folks. That's a long time. So what? Is the Bible wrong? Were the, were the writers of the New Testament perhaps operating under some false assumption? Maybe. Well, that's actually exactly what's addressed here in verse 3 of this chapter. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. I told you we were going to come to the scoffers. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So, okay, that's the other side of the spectrum. You will remember that on the one hand, you have these people that constantly look, look at the news and they try to match a scripture or a prophecy or something to that. And, and then afterwards, they want to predict, okay, it's going to be at this date or this year, maybe, the Lord is going to return. Um, you know... That's the one side of it. The other side of it is we have these scoffers, the, uh, these, these mockers. You know, they mockingly ask those that are believing us. They would ask us, well, where is he then? If he promised that he's coming, where is he? It's been 2,000 years. He's not coming. I actually had somebody tell me that, I think it was two weeks ago. But you see that they, they say that everything goes on like it always has. It just goes on. We have another day. The sun comes up. The sun goes down. The sun goes up and it goes down. And, and it just continues like that. That's actually called uniformitarianism. Yes, I know a big word. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, 
But these people, these uniformitarianists, they think that everything just goes on the same way that it always has. That's basically what it means. Okay? And it happens at the same speed as it always has. But Peter actually has an answer to this. I love this. Look at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. You see that there? That's creation. <laughs> That's creation. These people are willingly ignorant of creation. They think that everything just goes on like it always has. But folks, creation wasn't like that. Um, at the time of creation, there was nothing. No, there was less than nothing. There was really nothing. Not even time. I can't even say at the time of creation. And then God created it. And six days later, everything was there. <laughs> In only six days. Folks, that's a drastic change. <laughs> that's a drastic change. That's not uniformity at all. It's not at all. But they are willingly ignorant of that. That means that they are suppressing what they instinctively know to be true. That's what it means. They, they would rather cling to this lie, which we have a name for now. It's called the theory of evolution. They would rather cling to this. This theory of evolution tells us that everything just goes on at the same pace that it always has been going and that changes happen very gradual, but it's always happening at the same pace and, this, and so on and so forth. That's what Peter is talking about here in verse 5. Look at verse 6. He continues this he says, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. That's the catastrophic flood in the days of Noah. You see that there? The world that then was, it's a different world. It's a different world. And so the world, the whole world was destroyed back then. And God started over again with everything that he could fit in the ark. That was it. So once again... <laughs> That's not uniformity. It's not. There was a sudden change in how things were. It didn't just continue as from the day of creation. So clearly, everything has not been going on like that at the same pace, you know, gradually changing and so on. There is no uniformity. It's nothing like that. Look at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word... Okay, so he's talking about the earth that we have now, eh? which are now... By the same word are kept in store. Let's stop there. What's that same word? Look at verse uh, 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. Let's go back to verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, so that's the word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So what's he saying? Well, like I emphasized there, is that the heavens and the earth, as they are right now, the things that you can see now, all of it, all of it, they are being reserved for that day of the Lord. That day of judgment of the ungodly. And we saw in verse 10 that that's the time where everything will be burned up and the elements even will melt away with a fervent heat. Folks, that's the next drastic change that will happen. That's the next one. So first we had creation, new earth. Then we had a flood, okay, new world. And then, then we're going to have everything just burnt up and a whole new world being created to replace that. That's not uniformity. 
That, that's exactly what uh, Peter is battling here. But still, it has been 2,000 years. We haven't addressed that yet. And Jesus did say that he is coming quickly. So how do we make sense of that? Look at verse 8. Verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So he's saying, he's reminding us of this very important thing. Folks, God is beyond time. He's, uh, whether, whether it is one day or a thousand years, it's all the same to him. That doesn't make sense to us because we are caught inside of time. We can only go second by second by second by second. God sees the end from the beginning. <laughs> so much different than us. So much different. So the fact that it has been 2,000 years already since he said that he is coming quickly actually makes no difference. It makes no difference. It still is quickly as far as he is concerned. Because he is beyond time. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What is that promise? Think about that. We'll get to that. As some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord promised that he will come back. That's the promise. Uh, So Peter's point here is that it's not slackness or laziness on the part of God that is preventing him to come. It's nothing like that. It is because of his long-suffering, his patience. It's his patience. It's because of that that he has not come back yet. So why? Well, folks, he wants those who will be saved to actually be saved. That's why. That is why. Remember that God knows who will all be, uh, who will all receive the Lord Jesus Christ and actually be saved. He knew that since before the beginning. He knows this. He knows these things. Now I realize that many people have a problem with discerning between foreknowledge and forecausal. I get that, and we and we had a series of lessons um, in the past about that. But what I mean is that even though God knows who will choose Him. It is not, uh, he is not the one that is causing them to choose him. I really hope that makes sense. He is not the one that is causing that to happen. Um, but he does know who is going to choose him. So th- there's a world of difference between these two uh, thoughts, between foreknowledge and forecausal. He's not causing these things, or he's not causing you to choose him. God does not want anybody to perish. And that is the truth. Not anybody. And that is why he sent his son to die on our behalf on the cross. And it is only through the finished work of Jesus that he accomplished on the cross and and that he actually rose again from the dead that any of us can be saved. With no exceptions. And he made this gift freely available to all who will believe in him. So the reason why there is this delay before the Lord comes back It's not because he's slow in fulfilling his promise uh, or because he wants more people to perish. That's that's not the character of God. We know that. That's not how we know him. It is because he is patient and he's giving more time for those who will actually repent to actually repent. It's because of his patience. So I think the question for a believer is then, okay, I know this, 
why should it affect me? <laughs> what should I do about this now? You know, in the light of the knowledge of the second coming of the Lord. Well, look at verse 10 again. <laughs> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? So because we know all of these things are going to happen, and because we know that the Lord will fulfill His promise of coming back, and because we know that all of this that we have around us will be destroyed by the most terrifying fire that the universe has ever seen, we should concentrate on living holy and godly lives. That's the conclusion of this. Folks, all of this is going down in flames. All of it is going down in flames. Uh, there is no use in trying to get more and more stuff for yourself. It's all just going to burn. It's going to be gone. It is futile to love this world and the things in this world. It really is. You're just going to be ashamed when you stand in judgment one day. Folks, we need to set our affections on Jesus. Like we sang just now, the, the, the last song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's where your focus should be. We need to turn our eyes on Him and keep them fixed on Him. Peter says here that we know how terrible this day of judgment is going to be. So because we know that, just think how our lives should um, reflect that in godliness and holiness in comparison. That is what we should be striving for. Folks, let his, his coming motivate you to be ready to live a godly life, to live a holy life. Because He is coming. Yes, if you are saved, we're going up in the rapture. Praise the Lord for that. But you're going to face Him. You're going to have to face Him. We may not know when all of this is scheduled to happen, but it is scheduled to happen. There is a date set for this, even though we might not know it. So I, I would urge you to please consider that today. Uh, maybe it's time to change your focus. Maybe it's time to, to leave these things that you've been busy with, that have stolen your time from the Lord, that have stolen your focus from the Lord. Uh, perhaps it's time to repent, come back to Christ. For those of you that are not saved today, if you die in this state, folks, you will see that day of the Lord. I pray that you will get saved before that happens. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so easily distracted, so easily distracted by the things of this world, Lord, the things that the world constantly puts in front of us, the things that we put in front of ourselves. Oh, forgive us, Lord, please. Please forgive us. Lord, will you help us to focus on you, on the glorious Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Lord, will you help us to live in that way, to live godly and holy lives. Remind us of these things through your Spirit, Lord. Father, we look forward to seeing you one day. And in that day, we want to see a smile on your face. We don't want you to be ashamed of us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Lord, thank you that we don't have to go through this life alone. We praise your name. Amen.